Hello and welcome to Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. I'm your host, Joshua Doby. Thank you so much for hanging with us here. Four o'clock hour. If you're a nine to fiver, you got 53 minutes, 31 seconds until that uh, that five o'clock bell rings for you here. So I appreciate so much you tuning into us and spending some time as we talk about all things financial economic here on Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. As I mentioned, my name is Joshua I'm a certified financial planner or CFP professional, been in this business, I know, wait for it, longer than you might think because of my youthful complexion, not very youthful anymore, but about 28 years of, uh, of doing this business, and uh, it, but it is a pleasure to be with you here on the radio as uh, we're giving some attention to some specific things. We're going to be talking companies again today, uh, especially because we're on about the back end of, uh, of earnings season, meaning uh, that quarterly time when the majority of the uh, companies here in the U.S., which are publicly traded, announce their earnings. We're about on the back end of it. We've got a couple of big ones in this next week, but for the most part, we're beyond it. We're going to be talking about some of those companies, but, uh, but in doing so, looking at companies, looking at strategies, looking at all things from a financial planning standpoint, that nothing that we're talking about here is intended as a specific recommendation for you. Meaning that even though we're talking on these things, we're going to be talking about some things in a positive light, other things in a negative light. You're going to hear me say things like, this is not a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold. I know for my compliance folks, I got to say that with some regularity. So you're going to hear that again today. But also it's not intended as a specific recommendation for you. Meaning that we strongly encourage you to reach out to your tax advisor, to your financial advisor, or if you'd like to reach out to us at North Main Financial Group, love to hear from you, love to chat about your particular financial situation to see if there are ways in which we might be able to be helpful to you. Online, you can find us at northmainfinancial.com. That's north like the direction, main like the street, financial.com, northmainfinancial.com. We have a contact page on there. Leave us an email address, a phone number. Let us know the most preferred and desirable ways for us to contact you again at northmainfinancial.com. You're also welcome to call us here in the studio. You got something that's been bumping across the headlines on your screen, or if you're like me and you still actually do shock, buy a newspaper, an actual newspaper, you know, black and white print gets on your fingers when you read it uh, kind of thing. If there's something that you'd like to discuss, I can't give you specific recommendations on the air. That's uh, that's just not good for compliance. They get a little bit antsy if I would do something like that. But quite seriously, uh, we can't speak to specific recommendations. But if you'd like just some comment or thought uh, relative to the kinds of things that you're seeing, a lot of things on our headlines right now, as as there always are. But certainly there are a lot of things on the headlines right now. Love to hear from you. Call us here in the studio, 844-STUDIO-4. That's 844-788-3464. Again, one more time, 844-788-3464 here in the studio here at WSIC and here on Dollars and Cents. All right, let's get into it. First segment, what's hot? We'd like to talk about those kinds of things, again, that probably are, are dancing across your headlines. And I'll admit, and you probably have picked up on this as we're talking about what's hot out there. Sometimes we're talking about what's not hot uh, as we're looking at the what's hot segment. Sometimes we're looking at things that are even a little bit arcane. Like, where did you find something like that? I probably dug for it a little bit, but uh, but we still think it might be of interest to you, maybe even in an anecdotal and hopefully in a slightly humorous kind of way. But let's go ahead and get started into it. Not not a whole lot of humorous here in this first point, but uh, but certainly relevant. You hear us talk about this a lot here on Dollars and Cents about, uh, about the unemployment rate. New numbers, come. they come out every week, by the way. 
and they come out on Thursday mornings. So relative to uh, to the timing of this live broadcast or the time of this recording uh, earlier today that uh, that they came out. And and I need to, to share with you because I wasn't one who thought we would be in this space, especially with, with what the Federal Reserve has done here over the last 18 months. All right. Goodness, 18 months coming into two years at uh, at this point. Uh, uh, significantly positive in terms of the unemployment rate. And when I say significantly positive, uh, yes, there there are new jobs. Yes, there uh, there is a significantly lower unemployment rate than what was uh, has been expected. Meaning we're sub four percent as measured by the most popular uh, unemployment rate factor from the Department of Labor, meaning the one that's most often quoted. So under four percent overall in unemployment. But we also look at unemployment claims, new claims continuing claims. New claims are the claims that have been filed in the last week. Uh, continuing claims, those claims which have been on file or paying uh, for longer than a week. So new claims today, about 220,000 here in this last week, which I know sounds like a really gargantuan number, except if you look at you know, where that head number is historically, it's pretty much right in line, maybe a tick higher than uh, than some that we've seen here recently, but not enough to, uh, to hit the radar screen. Uh, so 220,000 in terms of new unemployment claims. Continuing claims, we're bumping up against 1.9 million, 1.9 million in continuing claims. Again, sounds like a very large number. It is a large number, except relative to our working uh, economy or our working public, if you will. Uh, it is uh, pretty much in line with uh, with where we've been on a healthy or static level here over the last, let's call it... Oh, I'll stretch it. Eight years, 10, uh, maybe almost 10 years, a pretty normalized kind of figure. So I, I, I'm saying that to say, we're not seeing data points which are unnatural or of concern with regards to unemployment. And the reason why I'm emphasizing that a little bit is because you heard me say here on Dollars and Cents, like I said, I'll, I'll tell you when I'm right and I'll certainly tell you maybe even more emphatically when I've been wrong. I anticipated, I wouldn't call it a prediction, but I certainly anticipated and I shared with you here on, on previous versions of Dollars and Cents that I anticipated that with the rapid rise in interest rates that we would have a notable uptick in inflation. Now, notable, of course, that's an amorphous kind of figure. You can't can't put a uh, an exact uh, percentage to that. And I probably did that on purpose so that I wouldn't put an exact percentage to it. But the reason for that was is because generally speaking, with especially with rapid rises in interest rates, we tend to get movements north or increases in unemployment. The primary reason for that, I'm going to make it very binary here, even though it's more dynamic in the algorithm, but very binary to say that increases in interest rates make it more expensive for companies to do business or certainly to borrow money as they're looking to not compress their margins or to shorten their margins or squeeze their margins. They often go to the place where they have the highest amount of expense or exposure that most often labor. So that tends to be a space that we see that increases, meaning unemployment increases during times of rising interest rates. Now, it's not one-to-one, -one, it's not binary, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that usually happens in that way. We haven't seen that. And so that's been very interesting. I'll call it even dynamic during this season of rising interest rates, because if that isn't the case, a couple of things then bump into mind. Does that mean that it's coming? Does that mean that we still have yet to see some effects of rising interest rates that we haven't seen to this point? Uh, is, is it uh, beyond us? And is that, I, I would even call it proverbial at this point, soft landing, which has been all but prescribed from, uh, from the desires of the Federal Reserve Board at this point, is that actually going to occur? It may be. Of course, when it comes to those kinds of things, nobody knows until after it happens. It's kind of like stock market movements, right? We're all very, very smart after they occur. It happens all the time. We see it all the time at North Bay Financial Group. So it, it's, again, I don't, I don't say that to be 
glib or casual about uh, what are some very serious data points, but but I'm looking at it saying, well, it maybe that will be the case. Maybe that maybe it will happen that we'll come in on a glide path here and uh, and not have the kind of let's call it more abrupt experience from an economic standpoint that we usually have when we have such a rapid rise in interest rates. And, and as you've heard, also heard me say, we've had more movement in less time, meaning the the speed at which we have moved in terms of increasing rates. This is the most we've ever had in our history. So it makes it even more remarkable. And it really speaks, and I've, I feel like I've spoken some negative, let's speak positively. That really speaks to the strength of this economy right now. Not across the board, there are definitely points, there are companies, certainly, uh, many of them, we're going to be talking about them here in the next segment, little teaser, want you to hang around. But uh, but there certainly are segments that are, but there are segments that are. And that may speak to the resilience of what we're seeing right now from an economic data standpoint. Not every data point, but certainly a number of the data points that we're seeing. Well, friends, I appreciate so much you hanging with us here on Dollars and Cents, presented by North Main Financial. We're going to take a deep breath and be back soon here on WSIC. More of Dollars and Cents with Certified Financial Planner Joshua Doby is coming up on 105.9-100.7 WSIC. Making your money make sense. Dollars and Cents with CFB Joshua Doby on 105.9-100.7 WSIC. Hello and welcome back to Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. I'm your host, Joshua Doby. Thank you so much for hanging with us into the second quarter football reference. I know you're going to tell me it's no longer football season. You don't get it, do you? This is, it's, it's football 12 months a year around here, at least when I'm on the horn uh, talking about it. So we're still going to have football references. I mean, uh, Producer Bill, I, I, I don't know uh, the number, and I am definitely not putting you on the spot, but I know somebody out there can tell me the exact number of days between right now now and the start of preseason football camp. Uh, do you happen to be one? I mean, you follow that stuff pretty close. I mean, right. I do follow close. I'm not sure of the exact date. My mind has already gone to one Hornets basketball season, there we go. which yes. we're starting to heat up there. Yeah, and then absolutely. we got baseball around the corner. So I like to take it in stride. I see. You're, so you're very good. You're willing to let the season be the season. You're not, you're not, you're not trying to <laughs> in rush. In the moment. And, to uh, a fault. <laughs> I, mean, I love it. I, I love it. And those other, other sports are great as well. Certainly uh, the local ones also uh, even more so. But uh, um, but anyhow, But I, I'll bet if, if somebody knows, if you track that kind of thing 844 studio 4 call into the uh, studio here let us know exactly how many days or you maybe you want to has one of those like big clocks so you don't even look at the days like the number of actual hours minutes and seconds until that kind of thing anyhow appreciate you hanging with us here on dollars and cents presented by north main financial and we got a little academic there in the first quarter i do that you got you got to hear what the academic stuff is right a little bit it's kind of it's kind of like going to school Right, I mean, you got you got to go through English and you got to go through science, but uh, but if your favorite part, like me, was lunch and recess, well, uh, then we're going to get to a little bit of lunch and recess here on dollars and cents. So we're going to talk Costco, and uh, now producer Bill, are you a Costco guy, Sam's Club? I, I know I've asked you this previously. Are you? Yeah, I am not a member at okay. Club Costco. Yes, um, but I have frequented there before. Yes. I mean, it, it is a it, it is an experience. I, I love it. Yeah. I, uh, I I'm I'm pretty overwhelmed every time that I go there. Right, I am wide eyed. I yeah. mean, it's it's amazing the kind of right. stuff that you can buy, and then the kind of stuff that you can buy in volume. Correct. I mean, it's, uh, it, it is amazing. Sidebar, only because I, I pay attention to these kinds of things. Uh, Costco, at least as of two years ago, I don't have 23 data yet, but at least as of two years ago, number one retailer in terms of volume of bottles of wine. 
So I'm oh. sure I'm sure for other things that's true as well. But I happen to be paying attention because yep. I like wine and uh, was was noticing <laughs> that that, uh, that in, in going through some uh, some white paper data as I was looking at uh, it was either a 10Q or a 10K or something uh, along those lines in terms of uh, securities filings. So the number one retailer Is it that Kirkland's brand. Or? I, well, I think it's across the right board. Across so, the board. So okay. not just their own brand that uh, uh, that they that they move, but also uh, all all labels because. Right. They have all kinds of stuff. I mean, their their wine selection is impressive. Another reason to go back. I, yeah. I mean, it, not that I need much when it comes to <laughs> foods, to uh, but certainly if it's uh, with regards to wine, I mean, absolutely. So very interesting uh, along those lines. So we're talking wine, but we're also talking roast beef and turkey sandwiches. Chill. Uh, I mean, there, there there are a few things that can motivate Sweet me as music, well. Yeah. I mean, really, uh, right now. <laughs> now, a little bit controversial. I'm going to make it up. A, a little bit controversial. Uh, they came out, uh, you know, the cafe uh, end of things at Costco. Sure, I'm uh, familiar. M- yeah. Meaning where, where you kind of, after you've spent, you know, several hundred dollars on right. stuff that you don't need. And you're struggling with your cart to get out of. Uh, I <laughs> mean, this reflect is, at the yeah, cat. It's <laughs> it's it's a it's genius placement, and and you know you probably have just you know a couple of uh, shekels left in uh, in your pocket there. I know nobody carries shekels. Don't call in and tell me that. <laughs> I know that. All right, but uh, but you're just on your way out, and they had the little cafe there, and what has been. I would call it semi-iconic uh, in that space, and and I believe still exists in in this form. You could get a hot dog, a hot dog or a yep. Polish dog, and and a and a fountain drink for a dollar ninety nine. Right. And and again, I mean, people literally going there. Part of the reason they're going there is to be able to enjoy the hot dog, indeed, Polish dog there at the end. Uh, so anyhow, so they uh, Costco has tried to expand that a little bit, and uh, I think it was last August. It was let's let's call it summer last year, summer of twenty three. They introduced a roast beef sandwich, a pretty robust uh, roast beef sandwich. So it wasn't <clears> you know it wasn't the kind of thing that maybe you or I are making at you know midnight uh, right. kind of thing. But uh, but something Those can be robust. Too. They, they they can be for all the robust because right. I put potato chips on them. Yeah, you know, whatever yeah. All, whatever's left in the in the refrigerator, I'm putting it on them at midnight. But uh, but I mean you know lettuce. I mean I mean very nicely sure. put together. So not anything simple, but part of the pushback was whenever the roast beef sandwich uh, was introduced here in summer of last year, to the extent that, at least according to this most recent article in the Wall Street Journal, some stores are even starting to take away the roast beef sandwich. It was the price point. Mm. So very interesting, $9.99 for, uh, for just the sandwich. I see. So I guess when folks are looking at the board, you got $1.99 hot dog and drink over here. And these are, these are not, I mean, right. they're, not, they're not giveaway hot dogs. I mean, right. it's, oh, it, yeah. it, you, you know it when you, when you eat one. Uh, but it, there was some, let's call it pushback right. from some significant parts of the public saying $9.99 for a sandwich and I don't even get a drink or no fries or anything like so. There was some pushback. Interesting. So I thought that was kind of interesting, which yeah. brings me to the next point, talking about turkey and Swiss, mm. which apparently uh, has is being considered. I, I don't think Costco has made an official statement yet, but from Costco, let's call them with the proverbial air quotes, insiders uh, who, <laughs> yes. who follow these kinds of things. Probably the same folks. My who, people. <laughs> the, 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 the same folks who we talked about a couple of weeks ago who camp outside right. a uh, new fast food restaurant right. to be the first one to get in the room. These might be the same people uh, who, who are looking at that kind of thing, saying that Costco is going to be slowly phasing out this roast beef sandwich, bringing in the turkey and Swiss at a different price point, though. Ah. So now instead of nine ninety nine, rumor is six ninety nine. 
Okay. So still, still more expensive. Right. Uh, but not as They're expensive. They're getting closer. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'll bet if they had a turkey and Swiss sandwich for $1.99, you'd have people lined up for, for, for a country mile <laughs> to uh, to get in there. So very interesting. I mean, Costco, publicly Indeed. traded company, not a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold Costco. Not, not saying anything like that, but kind of interesting with how popular the entity is. It's always interesting, I think, when we're looking at these kinds of things to see how companies are constantly evolving, constantly tweaking, constantly wanting to expand. And the the margin possibilities. Sure. I mean, I don't know what the profit margin is on a turkey and Swiss sandwich, but um, I would think Costco probably can find a way to make it, make a dollar or two on yeah. uh, on on each one that goes out the door. So I uh, thought that was very important. I appreciate your indulgence there, uh, producer Bill. Oh, no problem. In uh, I mean, wrote not now. I'm just hungry. I mean, now, yeah, now right. I'm thinking yeah. about Polish Polish dogs and roast beef sandwiches. Yeah, tur- you got it from here. I'll be back. Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't blame you. I, actually, I, I don't. I, if there was some way for me to click a recording and jump. <laughs> off and, uh, and, and make a run with you, I would, uh, I would do it there. So, all right, so be on the lookout, possibly turkey and Swiss sandwiches at, uh, at Costco. And uh, you can give us a call in the studio whenever they come out. Let us know what the actual price point is and if it's worth it uh, as you're doing your evaluation. All right. Uh, I wouldn't call this anecdotal, but it, but it is... Well, I'm going to share this note with you here because it has definitely sprayed across the the headlines here. And you can go in a couple of different objective and subjective conversational lines with this, but kind of interesting, primarily because of one very significant business personality involved. And it has to do with the movement of SpaceX. Right, so the exploration space exploration company, I believe the formal name of the company is uh, Space Exploration Technologies Inc. is uh, is actually a name of it, commonly known, or at least in the uh, more casual vernacular in the business world as SpaceX, moved its base of operations. And when I say that, let's say its formal registration as a corporation from the state of Delaware to the state of Texas. Now. In doing that, obviously, the the large uh, business personality, very large business personality involved with that, Elon Musk. And uh, and I'm not going to get into either the social or political reasons why he may or may not have done that. But what I find interesting in in doing that, it really just brings a, a conversational point hopefully a little bit more objective to uh, to the table, is about where you incorporate your company. Because especially when you're looking at companies, and especially companies of size, I mean, it's one thing if, if you happen to be domiciled in a state and you register with that state and uh, and you do your primary business in that state, then that's that's a little bit different. That That's a little bit, um, let's say, more defined. But if you are not only doing significant business in many states, perhaps all 50 states in the country, and then if it's not just this country, but around the world, there becomes a strategic process, if you will, that that should be implemented in understanding where your company should be formally domiciled from a uh, from a registration standpoint. Now, I'm using some very specific vernacular here for, for some very specific reasons, because when I say that it is formally registered or formally domiciled in a particular state or even in a particular country, that doesn't mean that the headquarters or the operational base of that particular entity is necessarily getting picked up and moved. It may be. It may be getting moved from one state to another or one country to another. It may be. But for these large, large multinational companies, uh, SpaceX, certainly in many states around the country, 
and and it has other vendor and uh, satellite, uh, no pun intended, satellite locations are, are around the world. Uh, there there are operations happening in a multitude of different ways in a multitude of different uh, venues. And and so when you were doing that, when we're talking about moving from the state of Delaware to the state of Texas, really what we're talking about is more of a formal paper file paper filing, and also which state laws apply to many, not all, of the more legal aspects of the business dealings of the company. Now, I know I'm getting a little bit in the weeds here, and I don't want to lose you on this. Really, the point I wanted to make is, A, yes, SpaceX is well-known. Elon Musk is well-known. SpaceX moved their uh, registration from the state of Delaware to the state of Texas. Really, it's to, it's to draw the point, you know, why, why companies are domiciled in specific states or in specific countries for specific reasons. And there are two big ones, and they're going to be really easy, and you may even uh, already intuitively know what they are. The two big ones that we see are legal and financial, usually legal and tax. Meaning for legal reasons, are there specific state or country laws which are, let's say, more business friendly or easier for that particular company to do business in those areas? And also tied right into that, right next to it, has to do with the liability aspects as well. Meaning what are the particular pathways that can be utilized in that state and or that country uh, to be able to resolve disputes? Now, I am not a lawyer and I, am, I have not stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. So I, I know if you, watch, if you watch any television, you know what I'm describing there. But uh, but it has to do with the, the legal ramifications of actually being domiciled in that area. The other is a tax aspect of things because when it comes to corporate taxes, there is some very different treatment in different states and then in different countries around the world. You'll hear about companies, especially large ones, large multinational companies changing their, let's call it registration domicile. Uh, for different reasons tax-wise, meaning it's better for them tax-wise. You'll hear of havens like Ireland, or you'll hear of, of other often island nations that have more tax-friendly kinds of venues. And there is some dispute about whether that's legitimate or not. I'm not going to get into that discussion here. But understanding why companies do that is important. It impacts their bottom lines. That's really the big item to keep in mind here. Well, friends, I appreciate you hanging with us here in the first half of today's Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. We're going to take a break. Hang with us here for the second half on WSIC. There's more of Dollars and Cents with Certified Financial Planner Joshua Doby on the way from 105.9, 100.7, WSIC. It's Dollars and Cents with Certified Financial Planner Joshua Doby on 105.9, 100.7, WSIC. Hello and welcome back to Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. I'm your host, Joshua Dobie, thank you so much for hanging with us into the second half. Football reference producer Bill uh, is so exceptionally good, and I and I mean, and, and he's here. Yes, he can hear me, and so yes, I, I guess this is somewhat self-serving because if he doesn't do what he does best, there is nothing that's happening here right now. I'm just staring into a dark room to a microphone that's not working. So, uh, so yes, maybe this is a little bit self-serving, but he informed me as I knew he would that uh, we are 181 days away from the first preseason uh, NFL football game and that's not yeah that, that does standing applause 
Standing applause for, uh, for for that and uh, for all you football nuts out there like me. But if you are in other sports, we got the Hornets. We got we got baseball coming up. I mean, we, pitchers and catchers got to be this week, next week. I mean, it's got to be really close, right? Yeah, I actually think it might be this week. I think it might yeah. be this week as well. Right. I mean, I, I usually think once we get to the Valentine's Day right. that that we're basically the pitchers and catchers for mm. uh, for the MLB. So I'm ready. Bring it on. Let's, Any Costco uh, dogs and, uh, and baseball games. See, that's right. And. <laughs> Uh, and, and and all the wine you can drink uh, from uh, not adult, not all the wine. I'm not advocating anything here. You better be a teetotaler. You better take it slow. All right, let's go into uh, the next segment. We've got a, actually a call here while we were on uh, on break. There, or actually hearing from our sponsors. A gentleman called in asking about uh, rental rates and, uh, and 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 most specifically residential rental rates. Now, if you're a renter and one who rents an apartment, a townhome, or a single family home, uh, you know. Uh, and if you haven't experienced it personally, you have definitely seen it happening around. You probably know somebody who's been in the experience of a rapidly rising rental uh, expense experience. And I'm saying those words slowly and deliberately because I probably don't want to just get tongue-tied in saying them, but also to say that that very specifically here over the last several years, and, and COVID seems to have amplified that. I, I say seems because that's not true in every single market, but in many of the markets that I view and that I monitor, it was a rapid rise in rental rates uh, during the time of COVID and it has continued to be true even now. Now, the question from the caller, from the gentleman who who called in. I appreciate so much you calling in because this this touches so many lives. It, it really does. Whether you're on the landlord side of things or the renter side of things, it, it touches so many folks. It was The question was, well, what can we expect? Now we've come through this, let's call it rapid surge of, uh, of rental rates when it comes to rental real estate, looking at apartments, looking at townhomes, condos, single family homes, again, on the rental side of things. What can we expect in terms of rent rates? Well, there, there are a few things that I can say, let's call it in more of a general sense, because first of all, I'll tell you the real answer is nobody knows. But I will say that generally speaking, from a historical concept, not even a concept, from historical reality, that, uh, that rents, a little bit like real estate prices, tend to run in cycles meaning there are up periods and there are down periods and there's a whole lot of time in between. Now, I say that not to say that I'm predicting that rental rates are going to crash out or to come down dramatically. I'm not saying that at all. As a matter of fact, if you look at it over an extended period of time, not just here over the last several years, but if you look at it over, say, the last 30 or 40 years, just like real estate values, generally speaking, rental rates have increased substantially during that time. And you can say, well, that's that's intuitive. Everybody would know that. Well, yes, but I think it's also helpful then to understand what that means in the short run as well, meaning that we're going to have spaces where rents increase and they have increased quite a bit here in the short run. Now, does that mean that they're going to regress back to where they were? No, I don't anticipate that that's going to be the case. Does that mean that they're going to increase above where they are right now? Maybe, but uh, but it would be somewhat surprising to see that go in the same kind of parabolic move that it's had here over the last, and again, I'm speaking generally, uh, the, la- the parabolic move that we've had here over the last several years. So I, I would say let's let's have some awareness and understanding about historically these things have moved. I say the same thing when folks are asking about stock markets, bond markets, commodities markets, currency markets, the same kind of thing. When you're looking at anything that has a, an historical cyclical nature associated with it. Because we tend, you hear me say this a lot here on Dollars and Cents, we tend to think in straight lines. We do. Things go up for increase for, for a substantial amount of time. We think they're going to go up or increase forever. Not true. 
Never has happened uh, when it comes to these kinds of things market-wise. But it can feel that way, especially, as is true with rental rates, especially when the duration in this particular direction has been so prolonged. Meaning we start to think that it's just going to continue to increase or go up forever. Not true. Now, what does that mean in terms of when that cycle turns? And then more specifically, how much does it turn as it turns? I have no idea. But we do know that there are some factors, some headwinds, which are out there right now. A couple of them I'll raise to you. You may already know them. Interest rates. So for landlords on the ownership side of things, for those who are looking at new projects, wanting to buy uh, new projects, and maybe this is the, the really the larger linchpin in the mix, needing to refinance current uh, debt notes or current mortgages on, uh, on, on rental real estate, they're doing so at much higher capitalization costs or much higher interest rates. That dents into things. And if there isn't the ability to raise rents on the landlord side, I'm speaking right now, if there isn't an ability to raise rents to be able to meet and exceed those additional capitalization costs due to, due to higher interest rates, there's going to be a slowdown. There's going to be a pullback. Yeah, how long? Don't know. That's just supply-demand ethos right there. Uh, there's going to be some level of pullback in valuations for those rental properties, and there will need to be a drop in the rental rates offered to be able to attract renters. Now, on the other side of that, in the algorithm, uh, and it isn't this binary. I'm just going down the points of the algorithm here. On the other side of that is we have two factors. One, we have, uh, relatively speaking, limited supply, meaning the number of folks who want to rent and the number of, uh, of units available, uh, they, they're pretty evenly matched. And I would even say that the supply is slightly below the demand, which means that the pricing aspect of things is going to continue to remain strong just looking at that single variable. So when we're putting those things together, and I know I'm getting into this a lot, but it touches so many people uh, that I think it's important that we spend some time on this. And I appreciate so much, caller, you making this uh, this inquiry here because it does impact so much of our economy when we're talking about real estate overall, and then specifically on the residential and rental side of things here uh, that, that we need to spend some time on it. So there are a number of factors. I talked about the headwind of um, uh, of interest rates. There also is the headwind of in some areas now having significant build out, meaning that we have some excess inventory in some areas. But when you look at it across the board, across the country, we do not. And that's true on the buy side of things as well, by the way, not just the rental side, but on the buy side of things as well. Even though we don't have a whole lot of folks who are selling homes right now, we also don't have a whole lot of folks who are moving. I mean, just on a transactional basis, the National Association of Realtors put out uh, uh, some data points that were showing the the movements uh, last year, 2023, the fewest number of movements. Now, I'm not talking about prices coming down. I'm talking about the actual number of transactions, the actual number of movements of units moving between buyer and seller, the lowest it's been in over a decade. So when we're looking at that kind of data, again, it, we don't get too caught up in any one data point, a single data point or any one uh, piece of information with regards to where things are right now. But it's important to take a look at it and to recognize that this environment is different in terms of where we have been for the last several years. It's not different in terms of we've never been here previously. This is just different in terms of we've been for the last several years. Capitalization costs higher, supply still relatively tight, but also fewer folks desiring to move. And, and to follow up on, on the point, on a question we have received a lot, you know, do we anticipate that there's going to be some kind of 2008, 2009 uh, sort, sort of movement with regards to residential and commercial real estate? No, is the short answer on that. And it's not because that can't happen again, uh, but we're not seeing the kinds of economic harbingers sitting out there that would indicate that that, that would be coming. 
I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, I was there firsthand. And for those of you who were there firsthand as well, 2005, 2006, 2007, it was unnatural. And I say unnatural from the standpoint that there was so much, especially on the residential side, there was so much real estate and specifically so much on the mortgage side and the debt side of things that just, it just didn't make sense. I know it's easy to look back on and say, well, I told you. No, I'm t- it, it didn't make sense. This space, it does make sense. It really does. I mean, when you look at the number of units slowing down in terms of transactions, of course, that makes sense. When we look at rents that are getting to plateau some, meaning I don't think that they're they're, they're rising at the same exponential rate that they were uh, rising there, certainly during the time of COVID and just after, that's expected. You would expect it for that to be the case because, again, we can't move in that proverbial economic or financial, rather, straight line forever. So looking at those kinds of things, no, I don't see that kind of crash out scenario or the kind of, you know, where things are going to be you know, dropping 50, 60, 70 percent like they did here 15 years ago. Don't see that actually at all at, uh, at this point because, again, the supply demand aspect of things is relatively running uh, side by side. We don't have a glut of supply, which would indicate that we're going to have a drop of prices. By the way, that was one of the primary uh, concerning factors that happened in 2008 and 2009. We also don't have an economic malaise or meaning uh, economic slowdown or high unemployment, which would indicate that, again, that demand would uh, would drop significantly. So we don't have that in the algorithm either. So, uh, so what we think at this point, at least at North Main, as we're looking at these kinds of things, when it comes to the residential real estate uh, aspect overall... But specifically looking at the rental market, per the question of the caller, don't have concern that we're, uh, that we're going to have significant pullbacks on the landlord side. Now, if you're a renter, you say, well, I'd like to have a little bit of a break from where we've been. And I understand that. But at, at this point, it would be inappropriate relative to the data that we've seen at North Main to say that that's going to be coming. There's going to be significant pullback from where we've been. Now, we don't see that we're going to have the same kinds of increases that we've had here over the last several years, but, uh, but that doesn't mean necessarily that rents are going to pull back notably from where they are right now. Again, these things run in cycles. There, there, is no, there is no prolonged straight line, even though it feels like a straight line sometimes when we have extended time or extended time frames of similar kinds of experiences. But remember, these things are cyclical. And if you don't believe me, take a look at history. I promise you, you're going to see it ups, downs, and sideways. Friends, thank you so much for hanging with us here on Dollars and Cents, presented by North Main Financial. Back in a few moments here on WSIC. More of Dollars and Cents with Certified Financial Planner Joshua Doby following these brief messages on 1059 100.7 WSIC. We're back now with more of Dollars and Cents with your host, Certified Financial Planner Joshua Doby on 1059 100.7 WSIC. Hello and welcome back to Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. I'm your host, Joshua. Adobe, thank you so much for hanging with us into the fourth quarter. Again, if you're a nine to five or you got 11 minutes, 55 seconds until you get to the finish line here. I appreciate so much that you're tuning us in to be able to think on some things here, financial, economic, even a little bit anecdotal. We're going to talk football and we're going to talk, well, at least today we've been talking about uh, red wine and roast beef and turkey sandwiches. You thought you thought this was just going to be a dry show about dollars and yeah, it's sense though, but it's S-E-N-S-E. Check it out on all the socials. You could see it. I know it's 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 that whole double entendre. Or, no, actually, that's that's not true. It's not a double entendre because uh, it sounds the same, but it's spelled differently. Um, so there is it, it's it's a different uh, definition that I'm homonym. Not, is that what it is? 
Is that, that sounds, I'm reaching. I don't know. You know what? I'll, I'll take. I, I like that. Actually. I'm still homonym same. You know, sound. I'm wondering if I should have redone my Valentine's Day yesterday. <laughs> you know, because I I did not go the even the nine ninety nine route. I, uh, you, I you definitely could have should have gone Costco wine. Yeah, the, next you, year. You, you know, you know what? But uh, but I mean, speaking of uh, of Valentine's Day, which I guess I should mention that we are one day post post uh, yes. of a uh, Valentine's Day, and I heard you guys there on uh, Good Morning Elkan. Which, by the way, if you haven't listened to Good Morning Elkan, Monday to Friday, seven to nine here on WSIC, those guys are great and they're funny too. I mean, you got, you got to be a little bit crazy, but I mean, they're, they're, they're a little, they're, they're a lot funny. I enjoy listening to her every morning, but they were talking about that, right? They were talking about, uh, so, some of their, um, well, I, I would say their significant others in terms of the kinds of things that, uh, that they did for Valentine's day and, uh, mine at least, uh, for part of the day included a fried chicken sandwich, uh, mm. with, uh, with, with my family and, uh, uh, at a local shop here, tenders, boy, it was good. I mean, I, and I, it's, I'm not hard to please. Is it too but, early to ask for you to be my Valentine? Uh, it, 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 it is not, uh, for, for that. We, I, I will definitely keep you on the list, sir. <laughs> please. And let's, uh, let, let's log in though, that, uh, our Valentine's will be fried chicken sandwiches. I love it. I mean, that's, uh, that, that would be pretty much the Zenith as far as I'm concerned. So anyhow, but, uh, but thanks for hanging with us here on dollars and cents. We have a segment we call what to know and, and what to know, uh, generally speaking here on dollars and cents, we're talking about those kinds of things that we think may be part of your experience. Uh, actually we know from talking talking with many of you that, uh, that it, it is part of your experience or it is part of experience of family members, colleagues, other folks you may know, general concepts, broad concepts that we want to make sure are on your radar screen. And this one I'm going to be mentioning here today on Dollars and Cents, it's a big one. And there is no way that, I mean, even if I took the whole show, even if I took a whole segment of shows and, uh, and put them together, that to, we could talk on all the details because there's so much involved with it. But it's, uh, the large rubric, the large idea is managing financial debt, D-E-B-T, uh, financial debt. And what? how do you manage debt appropriately? Debt sometimes gets a, gets a, a bad um, sort, sort of uh, reputation that all debt is is bad and you'll find some financial folks who say that all debt is bad and, and that's okay. Uh, I'm not one who says that all debt is bad. Um, so you should know that relative to, uh, to my biases, but really instead of uh, saying whether it's good or bad, it's the idea of managing debt if you have it, or if you don't have it and you may have it in the future, some of those things to keep in mind. And again, there are literally dozens of entry points on this topic that we could touch on when we're talking about managing debt or man the idea being, of course, managing debt effectively or managing debt appropriately. And I'm going I'm to talk on three big ones because it'll be easy to bracket the conversation and because uh, relatively speaking, we can't get into all of the big, uh, the big ideas. But, uh, but three big ones that we uh, that we touch on a lot at uh, North Main Financial Group with clients. So three different kinds of debt. There are many different kinds of debt. We're going to touch on three of them here for discussion purposes. We're going to talk credit card debt. We're going to talk car loans and we're going to talk mortgages. Now, there, like I said, there are many, many other kinds of debt. And I, I mean, you want to call into the studio, you want to let me know about another particular kind of debt that you'd like to discuss, 844-STUDIO-4, 844-788-3464 here in the studio. And, and if I can't get to it today, I'll talk about it at a future time. But, uh, but, but debt is such a big deal. And, and I say it's such a big deal because there are different kinds of debt. 
There can be ways that debt can be very effective in terms of leveraging your purchasing dollar, i.e. real estate, mortgages kinds of things. And it can also be pretty crushing, meaning that if you uh, rack up a significant amount of unsecured debt, that it can take away budget-wise from, for, for some other things that would be part of your month-to-month, year-to-year kind of expenditure. So there, there are very important points to keep in mind here. But like I mentioned, we're going to talk just briefly on credit card debt, we're going to talk auto loans, or we're going to talk mortgages. Let's talk credit card debt first. Credit card debt generally speaking speaking is unsecured debt. So even though you may have used your credit card to buy something, and you may even have it sitting in front of you, like I have iPad, computer, iPhone, newspaper, all of these things at some point along the way uh, where a credit card purchased them, and uh, if I would not have paid them off uh, that month and kept them kept them as recurring debt, I would pay an interest rate on that. And uh, so it's generally speaking, credit cards are considered unsecured debt because the credit card company probably is not going to come for my used iPad or for my used laptop or, or iPhone even uh, if I, I do not make good or make my minimum payments at least on that debt. Now, the challenge with unsecured debt are the interest rates. You probably know this. So with credit cards, you tend to have much higher interest rates than you have with other kinds of what are called securitized or secured debt because it's considered unsecured debt, meaning that there isn't a specific um, uh, entity or there is not a specific piece of real estate or there is not some some object that uh, is perceived by the lender, by the bank, uh, to have some kind of residual value. I know, getting in the weeds here a little bit, but stay with me. So with credit card debt, you tend to see higher interest rates, 20, 21, 25, sometimes even 29% in this kind of environment. So very, very expensive kinds of debt. And so that's why, generally speaking, we are encouraging folks to pay off their credit card debt as quickly as they can or as makes sense in their financial plan. Now, does that mean that they don't do anything else and pay off their credit card debt uh, only or as, as the number one priority? Maybe. Everybody's situation is unique. This is not a recommendation to do that in your particular situation. But generally speaking, when we're looking at the kinds of debt that mathematically make the most sense to pay down fastest, we're usually bumping into credit cards because they tend to have the higher interest rates, i.e., if you pay those debts down faster, you will save yourself future interest costs. That's what it means to pay that down faster and mathematically making more sense. All right, let's pivot to car loans. Car loans right now especially have taken a different color here over the last couple of years because of the rise in interest rates on car loans. Meaning that for a long time, we were looking at car loans in North Maine on behalf of clients. Not that we don't uh, issue car loans, but we look at them and the, and the terms on behalf of clients. I mean, we were looking at 09 1.9, 2.9% a year. So relatively low in terms of interest rates. Now for some used cars, we're looking at interest rates 8.9, 9.9, even saw 12.9 here uh, not too long ago, 12.9% per year. So pretty expensive debt on a car. Now, with the car, it is secured, meaning it is secured by the value of the car, even though, generally speaking, most cars uh, go down in value or recede in value uh, through the years, meaning most cars, not all, but most cars, especially, uh, let's call them non-classic or non-investment grade uh, cars, tend to uh, decline in value as we use them or as, as the years go by. So when we're looking at that kind of thing, generally speaking, uh, at North Main Financial with our clients, we're saying, okay, that, that would probably be uh, next in line or of the three that we're talking about here, that would be next in line that you may want to pay down because especially as capitalization costs are higher than perhaps what we call the risk-free rate. And I, and I say that because it's different for everybody. The risk-free rate has risen here over the last several years. Generally speaking, we will use the 10-year treasury as the risk-free rate 
uh, meaning that uh, if you would put your money into a U.S. Treasury note, uh, generally speaking right now, you're right around 4% for means of this conversation. If you are paying more than that in terms of your interest expense, generally speaking, it makes more sense to pay down the debt instead of keeping that amount in cash. Now, the inverse of that can be true as well, mathematically. If you're just looking at uh, the risk-free rate at 4%, let's say you have uh, debt on your car at 0.9%, well then mathematically, it can make more sense to actually keep more in the bank than paying down your car note faster. You see how that goes together? Comparison of the interest rates. So it's, it's, it's very important to take a look at that. Now I'm gonna talk about the subjective here in a moment as well. This is the objective, this is the math. So we're looking at credit cards, higher interest rates, unsecured. Generally speaking, that makes the most sense to pay those down as fast as you can. If we're looking at cars, generally speaking, that's that's around next in line or towards the middle of the pack in terms of debt that makes sense to pay down because that debt is on a depreciating asset, generally speaking. Value-wise, it's not holding up. So generally speaking, and it tends to have higher, uh, higher interest rates than debt that is secured by real estate, which is what we're going to talk about next. And I'm looking uh, for means of this conversation at residential real estate. So most commonly mortgages, right? So mortgages, lines of credit or home equity lines of credit, uh, home equity loans uh, that you have on your home, uh, that is debt which is secured by real estate, by a piece of property, most often a home or investment property if you happen to own a beach house or mountain condo or something similar like that. But those tend to be, again, notes that are secured or debt that is secured by the building, by the real estate, by the dirt uh, that's there. And those tend to be, not always, but those tend to be but the assumption made by the lending institution that those are going to be at least maintaining, if not appreciating, assets over time. That's why, one of the reasons, why they have lower interest rates than what you see in other kind of debt scenarios. So when you're looking at mortgage rates, those tend to be lower than what you would get on a car loan, and certainly much lower than what you would get on unsecured debt like a credit card. So when we're looking at the comparison of those two, mortgages tend to be a little bit further down the page in terms of you should pay this off first, mathematically speaking, because of the fact that they tend to be the lowest rates on an, generally speaking, an appreciating asset, especially when held over the very long term. So it's very important to understand the, the dynamic between those three because they're very different. They're very different in terms of their interest rates and they're very different in terms of how they're put together. Now, the subject of part of that is it can make sense psychologically and emotionally to pay down debt faster. Even if mathematically it doesn't make as much sense, it sometimes can make sense to pay down debt faster, especially if it causes you concern about having debt that's sitting out there. So you may say, well, I just want to pay off my mortgage as fast as I can. Okay, mathematically that may not make the perfect sense, but that doesn't mean it's wrong to do that. So very, very important to keep that kind of thing in mind when you're managing your financial plan, when you're managing your personal debt, when you're understanding you know, what should we do with the debt that we have? When does it make sense to pay it down faster? When does it make sense to pay it down slower? Mathematically, and then also subjectively. Well, friends, we're rapidly approaching the end of our time together here on Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. I appreciate so much you spending the time with us this hour as we're talking about all things financial and economic and looking at the markets and what they mean for you. Tune in with us next week here on WSIC. Serving you better than ever before. WSIC, Statesville, W290DK Mooresville, W264CU Statesville.